Good morning, church. My name is Roger, one of the leaders here. So, with regards to the announcements, that Scott McNamara evangelist training, we had it in Stenbosch, and uh, a bunch of people went for the training, people who had never shared the gospel before, and taking the simple tool, people who had never gone out before, we saw over 700 people respond and give their hearts to the Lord. So honestly, this is not to be missed. So that's next Friday and Saturday morning. It's just one of the best tools. It's, it's a reaping tool, really. It's bringing people to a point of responding to the gospel. So if you're in any way not sure about how to, to bring people to Jesus, then come along next Friday and Saturday. Also just to highlight that Discover Every Nation dinner, that's for people you're saying, maybe this is my family, maybe this is where I'm meant to be. It said the 28th of January. That's meant to be 28th of February. So apologies for that. Friends, we are in a series called Be Different. And it's about kingdom lifestyle. It's about us living the life that is full and rich and full of joy and full of peace that God intends. And I felt this morning that almost Tony was prophetically taking my sermon away. Because God doesn't want us to live a rushed life. He doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. And so today we're going to look at, at what it means for Jesus to be at the center of our time. How Jesus, as he comes in, changes everything in terms of our perspective on, on time, our management of time, if management's even the word, our values and everything. So can I pray as we begin? Lord, your, your will for us is life. Lord, and your will, Lord God, is to heal us and restore us and cause us to live with, with joy and purpose and fulfillment and peace. And where people are overwhelmed, I pray you'd minister to them today. Where people are distracted, Lord Jesus, you would come in. Where people are captive to habits and to things, Lord God, you would bring deliverance. Lord, may you be at the center of our time. May you take first place, and from that, Lord God, may we experience life and life abundantly. And may we be your hands and feet to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I begin, greetings from Pastor Sai. He's ministering out at Every Nation Reimsuch this morning. All of you recognize that man, Albert Einstein. Uh, super bright, super smart, came up with the theory of general relativity and special relativity, and... Uh, one of the things that, that he hypothesized, which has now been accepted by the scientific community, is that time changes based on the speed that you're going. Weird, right? So if, you, if you're a twin and your twin stays on Earth and you get into a spaceship going at like 50% the speed of light and you're on that spaceship and you go out for five years, come back two and a half years out, two and a half years back, you come back, your twin brother would have aged about 50 years and you've aged five years. Now, I don't think any of us have gone fast enough <laughs> to, to experience that law of special relativity. But have you noticed this? You get onto the computer, and you're just going to spend 10 minutes on Instagram. And all of a sudden, it's a miracle or a bad one. It's like 45 minutes you've spent, right? Or I'm just going to eat this chocolate, and it's just gone. You know? Or all works the other way. You go, I'm going to have a hardcore workout at gym. And you start pumping, and you think, man, this is amazing. 
must have done 50 minutes and you look at your watch and you've been, <laughs> and you've been at it for 10 minutes. <laughs> I want to propose to you that time changes based on who you're with. Time changes when you are with Jesus. Your perspective on time completely changes. And we're going to look at one of the greatest men in the Old Testament who lived in the most intense city and who had arguably the hardest job of the day and how he lived and how he stewarded his time. And we're going to look at four words, one Hebrew and three Greek words with regards to time so that we would be people who experience the fullness of what God has for us. First word is Shabbat which literally means to stop. It means to cease. It's also come to mean to rest. What was the first... What day was Adam and Eve created? Who knows? Sixth day, right? Okay, so what happens on the seventh day? So this is from Adam and Eve's perspective. So they created on the sixth day. So the first full day they experience is the seventh day. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day. So from Adam and Eve's perspective, they begin their great adventure of life with a day of rest. With a day of enjoying God. With a day of being in God's presence. I don't know about you. But I don't want to live from crisis to crisis. I know what God intends for my life, and that is that I start off from a place of rest, both physical and resting in Jesus. I work hard, and then I come back to a place of rest. And so I have a rhythm of work and then Sabbath, work and then Sabbath. But it starts with rest. This is God's intention for our lives. That everything begins from a place of that you are loved, that you accepted, that you're good, and we start with rest. And then from that point, we go out and do great things. Now, it was interesting, the, the Soviet Union attempted arguably the greatest uh, sociological experiment. On the 29th of September, 1929, they canceled the seven-day work week. Okay, you can read about this. And they moved the entire population. The guys in the, in, the, in the farmlands didn't change, but everybody in the city changed. And they put everybody onto 10-day and 5-day work weeks. So on the 29th of September, 1929, Sunday was cancelled. Okay? And most people had to go to work. And this continued for 11 years, until 1940. And guess what happened then? They saw the productivity decline... <laughs> They saw what was happening to the people, and so they canceled it, and they said, okay, we're going back <laughs> to the seven-day week with the rest on the seventh day. Now, I don't know when you take your seventh day, but you know what a seventh day, a seventh day means? 24 hours not working. And by doing that, you trust in God. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you that in six days of giving it stick, you'll prosper me that I don't have to rest so that I don't have to work all seven days. So I rest on a, I take a Sabbath on a, on a Monday. Some of you do it on a Sunday. Some of you do it on a Saturday. But you are called to rest. 
You're called to manage your time by beginning from a place of rest. Now, the early church fathers took it a step further, and they developed something called a rule of life, which was described as a trellis upon which a vine could grow. And, and I want to show you the trellis of my life, my rule of life. I don't get this right all the time, but the more I do it, the better I do. So here it is. So in addition to work, I've got rest, I've got relationships, and I've got time with the Lord. On the left-hand side, rest, I take a Monday off. I try to refresh myself by exercising four times a week. I plan holidays. I read broadly. That, that refreshes me. That gives me rest. Uh, I get into nature as much as I can. On the right-hand side, I spend time daily praying. Sometimes I, I just get out of my office and walk because I get distracted when in my office. So whatever it takes to pray, that's what I do. I journal. That just brings focus to me. I read scripture systematically, and I spend time alone. And as far as relationships concerned, daily quality time with Nicola, time with my sons, and now my daughter, time with friends, and time with extended family. I don't get this right all the time. But my question to you is, what is your rule of life? What is the framework of your life? And is it bringing refreshing to you? Now, imagine this is um, my relationship with God. So I put that in, put that into my life. And this is Nicola. I'm not saying she's this big or small, just don't, don't, no judgments. <laughs> And times of refreshing and work. And then this is Instagram and watching too much sport and computer games and just random discussions. I put these things in first, right? So that what's left, whatever can fit in, fits in. Sorry for the mess. And whatever doesn't fit in, doesn't fit in. But I put first things first. I put my rule of life in first. If you try to do it the other way around, if you first fill your life with distractions and random entertainment and, and too much TV and too much YouTube, you will never have the life that God intends for you. A life of abundance, a life of peace. Our lives are meant to begin with Shabbat principles. Our lives are, me begin, are meant to begin with rest and prayer. And relationships. I want us to go to this great man, Daniel, who's been taken from his, his family, dragged as a slave, put into the service of the king, served faithfully, and he ends up into this high position in Babylon, which was the New York of the day. And it says, it pleased Darius, the king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, they're like provincial governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them were three officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, make him prime minister, basically. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel, they tried to look for negligence or corruption, it says. 
but they were unable to do so. So, so they devise a plan. And the plan is they can't catch him out in terms of his work. The only thing they can do is catch him out in terms of his religion. So they come up with this crazy thing that they put before the king. That nobody should worship anybody but the king. So we read and it says, All the high officials, the prefects, the satraps, the councillors, governors, agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes prayers to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. So they're going to catch him out according to his faith in God. So the king, for whatever reason, agrees to this. And he signs the document. So now it's set in place. It's law. Look what happens. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and he prayed three times a day. He gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He had a rule of life. He had a way of, of resting in God. He had a way of, of, of living his life in terms of managing his time. God at the center. Jesus at the center. And he was not going to be distracted by his work or by the intimidation of man. And so they break in, they catch him, they bring him before the king. The king's he doesn't want to do this, but the law can't be changed. And he gets thrown into the den of the lions. Basically, he's executed in his throne, and God shuts the mouth of the lions. King comes the next morning, opens up the lion cage. He says, Daniel, are you there? And we pick this up. Daniel answers, and he says, here I am. I've been delivered. And says, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him. Because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of the lions and their families. And then it says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and, and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. And then there was a regime change. And says, and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. I want to ask you a question. Was Daniel perfect? No. The Bible is clear. For all have sinned and come short to the glory of God. So what was it about Daniel that, that made him so outstanding, that caused him to prosper in this incredible environment where he's been raised up, this political environment, this, this wicked environment, this big city environment, this big job environment? I believe it was this. An excellent spirit was in him. The spirit of God was in Daniel. And this made all the difference. And as we have the Spirit of God in us, we are changed in every way. Now, the first Greek word that I want to give to you is chronos. Chronos is translated as time. And it's, if I was to say to David, see you at four o'clock. It's time as we normally understand it. It's time that we can steward. 
It's time that we can, that we can manage. And you know what? Kronos, the time that we understand, it reflects our values, it reflects our beliefs, and it reflects our culture. Peter Drucker, the great management consultant, said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Okay, the culture of a company. But likewise, culture eats your diary for breakfast. Okay, culture eats your New Year's resolutions for breakfast. What your beliefs are, what your values are, what they really are, that dominates everything. So your schedule reflects your culture. Your schedule reflects your beliefs and reflects your values. Daniel had an excellent spirit. So the first thing I want to say to you is, Kronos reflects who lives inside of you. And, and if, if Jesus is inside of you, if he's come in, maybe he's just come in and, and the, the change is just starting to happen, or maybe you've been Christian for a little while, so more change has happened. But who dwells inside of you will be reflected in your time. It will be reflected in how you spend your time. Not only that, it will be reflected in who you are. In the short term, maybe you've had a hard hard life, maybe you've thrown some curveballs, maybe there's stuff inside of you. Short term, there's grace, but ultimately, ultimately, your diary reflects who you are. Okay? In the long term, how you spend your life in the long term is exactly who you are. It's an, it's an expression of your beliefs. It's an expression of what is in your heart. Kronos also reflects who your family is. And by family, I mean both your natural family and your spiritual family. I'm so glad you're here this morning in church, but if, you, if this is like the once in 52 weeks, so glad you're here. But if I can humbly submit to you, <laughs> this probably isn't really your family then. Maybe there's some other family, or maybe you don't have a family. You don't have a spiritual family. Because Kronos reflects who your family is. Daniel prays and he's orientated towards Jerusalem. He knows his people. If your chronos doesn't reflect any commitment to spiritual relationships, nor to your natural family, if you never spend time with them, then the sad truth is you probably don't really have family. And lastly, chronos reflects what your mission is. What your mission is. And, and may you prosper and succeed out there in the workplace. But but let me tell you about something which I try to build into my diary, and I don't do this as a pastor or leader. I do this as a Christian. I build in time into my diary to share the gospel. I cry out to the Lord to heal my legs so that I can be part of a, a running crew so that I can engage people and share the gospel. Because part of my mission, and part of your mission as a believer, is to share the love of God to take the moments and to share Jesus with people. I studied accounting, qualified as a chartered accountant, and, and the interesting thing was from first year, they told us, time is money. You've heard that, right? Yeah, so we learned it in maths and stats in first year, we learned it in business economics in second year, we learned it in economics in third year, and we learned it in management accounts in fourth year. Time is money. I want to tell you that that is an incomplete statement. Time is value, and money is just part of that. What you value 
is where you spend your time. What you value is where you spend your time. And I pray that you would allow the adjustment of God today. If, you are, if, you're, if your ladder is on the wrong building, just repent. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to spend all your life pursuing the wrong thing and then you just realize, you know, I've, I've just climbed the wrong tree here. Time is value. Where you spend your time is an expression of what you truly value. Now, the next word that I want to give to you is kairos, also translated as time in English. But kairos refers to the right time, or the opportune time, or the critical time. Romans 5 verse 6 says, you see, at just the right time, the kairos moment, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, as a pastor, I do weddings, and uh, normally I say to the bride, Come seven minutes late. Okay, it's just for those people who just couldn't help themselves. That we're just late, you know. But then I chat to the, the bride, and we'll be like, "Okay, Uncle Horace is here. Do we roll or not?" You know. And sometimes it's like, "No, we wait. We wait till Uncle's an answer." Yeah. And sometimes the bride and the groom will tell me, "It's the opportune time. It's the right time. It's time to go." There are times in our lives that are kairos times. Sometimes there are times to repent that are kairos moments. And if you miss them, you've got to understand there's only a finite number of times that God will speak to you. Finite number of times. There are kairos moments for us with regards to business, with regards to relationships, with, with regards to us doing great things. And we need to recognize this. Hebrews 5 says the following, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of the kairos of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand at that kairos moment what God wants to do. And, and then he juxtaposes, he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. To seize the kairos moment, you know what you need? Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That you are able to recognize God wants to do something for me, through me, to me. He wants to use me. Sometimes we have to wait for our kairos moments, and sometimes we can bring them to fulfillment. Sometimes our kairos moments are to be acted on. On Tuesday, I'm running with, with the group, and... I'm so grateful that my, my knee they operated on, the doctor said it was an unsuccessful operation. I wouldn't run again, but I'm running. I'm doing the 10K runs. So, thank you, Jesus. So, I'm, I'm running with this. Oh, thank the Lord. So, I'm, I'm running with this guy, doesn't come to church. The previous time I ran with him, after the run, I said to him, I'd, I'd like to pray sometimes when we run. Can we do that? So, we're running now. All of a sudden, we're just alone, and he, we'd been talking about some stuff that had been happening in his life. And I knew it was the Kairos moment. I didn't ask him if I could pray. I WhatsApped him a week or two before, and I said, next time we'll pray. And he said, okay. I just I seized the moment, and I prayed for him. He was quiet afterwards, but it's fine. I knew it was a God moment. I know that God touched him. It was Tuesday. Wednesday, I go to gym. As I'm walking out of gym, I see two people. I start to speak to them, start to minister to them. 
and I know I've got the word of God on my lips. Again, it was a Kairos moment that I had to seize. And I'm so glad I hadn't packed my life. I mean, sometimes I do pack my life, you know, one hour, one hour, one hour. But I'm trying to put like just five, ten minutes between my appointments so that I can, I can hear God. And I can do things, phone somebody, engage somebody. Thursday, at a coffee shop, the same thing. Saturday, after the run, same thing. I get to speak to people. I'm seizing those Kairos moments. I'm being used by God to touch people. Kairos is also about sometimes weakened through our prayer and through our fasting and through what we do. We can bring a Kairos moment to the present. Through us standing in the gap, we can bring a moment of God's grace to people or to the nation or to your company where God intervenes. But it's up to us to do that. And sometimes, and we need to understand this, sometimes Kairos moments need to be patiently waited for. You're waiting for that son, that daughter to come home. You're waiting for that healing. You're waiting for that miracle. But the stance that we need to have is one of faith and one of expectancy, knowing that our God is good. And as we wait on him, he answers us and he hears our cries. The third Greek word is aeon, which literally means an age. Sometimes it can be understood to mean infinity or a lifetime. And we are called to live our lives in the light of eternity. We are called to live our lives understanding that what we're doing now is just the, it's just the initiation. It's just the starter. It's the starter of a million-course meal. It's just the job interview, and, we, and the real stuff is what happens in eternity. And that's what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves come and break and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. Then he says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you living in the light of eternity? Are you through your life, through how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you, what you give yourself to, are you storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Or is your focus on your career, is your focus on finance, is your focus on your brand as opposed to Jesus' brand? Are you storing up for yourselves treasures for eternity? Are you living in the life of Aeon? Or are you living with a perspective that this life is all that I've got? What's it? YOLO. <laughs> it's not YOLO. Sometimes we have incredible moments. God shows and his presence and power is there. Or you have a baby. Or you get married. Or your kids get married. Or you get that job. We have moments of wonder. Sometimes we have moments of crisis where things go wrong and there's sickness and there's heartache and breakdown in relationship. And sometimes we've got the stuff in the middle. You're caught in the traffic. <laughs> you know? You're washing the dishes. The tedium. The day-to-day. -day. And I've been reading this book, which is a really hard book to read. I don't even recommend it. But, <laughs> but it's, got, it's got one or two great points. And it was written by this 
Catholic priest, and he was the spiritual director to a bunch of nuns. And, and some of these nuns were like aspirant Mother Teresas. They wanted to like be incredible. And some of them were just sent to the monastery because otherwise they'd starve. You know, so you've got like a full spectrum of you know, spiritual maturity. And he writes this to them. He says, There is not a moment in which God does not present himself under the cover of something to be endured, of some consolation to be enjoyed, or of some duty to be performed. He's saying, at every moment in your life, either there's something to praise the Lord for, or there's something to, to endure, or there is some action that you are called to do. So he, he writes in response to one of the nun's letters, and he says, man, I'm really sorry for what you're going through. He says, but I would be even more sorry if you missed out what God was trying to do in your life through this. Can we change our perspective on time? Can we start to see things through God's perspective that every moment in our day is a moment where he wants to meet with us? That he wants to either touch us or use us or we are called to be strengthened and to persevere and follow in his footsteps. None of this is possible without the Holy Spirit. We can't even take a proper Sabbath without the Holy Spirit. We can't order our chronos, and we definitely can't live out our diary and, and keep to our New Year's resolutions. We won't be hearing the Spirit of God, and we won't be able to live for eternity without the Spirit of the living God. So, as we conclude, can we ask God to send the Holy Spirit upon our lives to order our time? As I said, Tony was taking the sermon away <laughs> because he was saying, and the Spirit of God is saying, he doesn't want you to live this life of constant crisis or meaninglessness. He wants you to live a life that is measured and full, and rich, going from Sabbath to Sabbath. He wants you to live a life where your diary reflects your values. And he wants to take you on an adventure of hearing the Holy Spirit and knowing whether to act or to wait or to make things happen. Can we pray together, please? We all need more of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, don't you just stand with me and lift up your hands. Lord, I need more of you. And as my family stands too, they need more of you. Lord, we lift up our hands and, and we say, come Holy Spirit. Breathe upon us. Even as Daniel had an excellent spirit, just breathe an excellent spirit upon us. And Lord, bring change and bring order to our lives. Breathe afresh on us, Lord God. Lord, where we are off, Lord God, where we are captive, distracted, Lord, wasteful, Lord God, we repent. Lord, just give us a gift of repentance, Lord God. You, you correct us because you love us. Lord, where our times and diaries are off, just, just come in. We welcome you, Lord God. We repent, Lord. 
And Lord, we want to we go on this adventure being used by you. Be your vessels, Lord God. And so give us these moments where we follow your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Where we hear you clearly, whether it's for our family or for business or for, for ministry, whatever it might be. Give us these Kairos moments. And Lord, as we lift up our hands, we say, Holy Spirit, cause us to live for eternity. Our love for you, our labor for you, our love for people and the things we do. May we sow things for eternity and may we not be captive to the affairs of this world. Lord, deliver us from hurriedness. Lord, may we be different. May we live in the shadow of your presence, Lord God. May we live with the peace that comes from walking with you. Pray this in Jesus' name.